medicine of East Asia is based on a science that does not hold itself separate from the phenomena that it seeks to understand. Our medicine did not grow out of petri dish experimentation or double-blind studies. It arose from observing nature and our part in it. East Asian medicine evolves not from the examination of dead structures, but rather from living systems with their complex, mutually entangled interactions. Welcome to Geological. I'm Michael Max, the host of this podcast that goes in-depth on issues pertinent to practitioners and students of East Asian medicine. Dialogue and discussion have always been elemental to Chinese and other East Asian medicines. Listen into these conversations with experienced practitioners that go deep into how this ancient medicine is alive and unfolding in the modern clinic. Welcome back to Geological. My guest today is Will Morris. Will has been a shining figure in our profession for a long time. He is the past president of AOMA in Austin. He was president there from 2005 to 2015. He is a frequent contributor to the dialogue of our profession. He writes for Acupuncture Today. He does regular articles for American Acupuncturist. He's the author of Neoclassic Pulse Diagnosis and also the author of Transformation, Treating Trauma with Acupuncture and Herbs, which is actually the subject of our conversation today. He has a deep background in pulse diagnosis, which would be a great subject for another podcast. Uh, in addition to all that, he's a musician, he's an astrologer, he's a writer, and I'm so delighted, Will, to have you here today on Sheological to talk about helping our patients uh, recover from trauma using uh, the wonderful methods of Chinese medicine and acupuncture. These geological conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Need to fill up the appointments created by late cancellations? Jane can help with that problem. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, listen for a special offer from Andrew Sturman on Diet as Medicine and the folks at Blue Poppy share some thoughts on the safety of herbal medicine. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit mayway.com to find the perfect plum flower brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore whenever you need a break. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies, and enjoy bits of Chinese culture. This month, we're focusing on the treatment of various skin concerns like itchy skin and stubborn acne. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our skin health formulas this month too. Just visit meiwei.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway for your health and wellness needs. And as always, thanks for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. Change is never easy, 
This is evidenced by the fact that the scales weighing the number of people on the green side of change versus the number of people on the old, hard-on-the-planet ways of doing things are still way out of balance. Our planet is suffering, but our profession has an easier way to shift the scales. The founders of AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles started with a great needle and then created our industry's first eco-friendly packaging and reusable accessories. They also give back to nature by planting trees. I encourage you to challenge yourself to make the change. Ride the wave of spring yang chi and make the switch by joining me and the multitude of colleagues who made the change. Now you can celebrate Earth Month in April with pride knowing that you're helping us to tip the scales of planetary health towards a greener, healthier, and healing planet. Visit www.acufastneedles.com to get on board. You've probably already heard me here on the podcast share about Jane, my favorite all-in-one practice management software that helps you to run your practice online and manage no-shows. The team at Jane understands that life happens, and sometimes that means your patients are unable to make their scheduled appointment. If that's the case, a quick and easy way to fill those unexpected gaps in your day is by utilizing Jane's time-saving waitlist management features. You can take advantage of automated SMS text or email notifications to notify eligible waitlisted patients that there's an opening so they can easily scoop up an available time. If you know you're ready to sign up, you can mention the show or use the code CHEOLOGICAL for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Visit jane.app to get started today. Welcome to Geological. Uh, thank you, Michael. Thanks for having me here. I'm psyched about this. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. yeah, it's always fun. I'm always curious to know... What were some of the influences that got people sort of started in the direction that they're going, that they went, and 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 took them to certain things? And and what I'm curious about, since today the subject is treating trauma with acupuncture and Chinese medicine, what is it that drew you to treating trauma with these methods? What what was the initial stuff that drew you, and and what were some of the influences that you first found that kept you going on this path? Oh, well, my practice began in 1980, and I was using some forms of, of uh, acupressure, the Jin Shin Do form of acupressure, which was influenced in part by Wilhelm Reich. Now, really? Reich, yeah, 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 it's oh. kind of far out. Yeah. Uh, and particularly the breathing and the issues around the diaphragm and so forth. So there's a lot of breathing techniques that are used. And as a matter of background, of course, Wilhelm Reich was the uh, one of the major disciples of Freud, as was Jung, and uh, some lesser-known people, such as Otto Rank, who was essentially the, the godfather of the whole rebirthing movement. So woven into all of this is these these tools for processing cathartic release, um, using breathing techniques and so forth. But what happens in the acupuncture clinic is that oftentimes uh, during the process of case intake or uh, working with the patient on the table, they'll come to a, a cathartic release. And it's um, my opinion that that the field itself at the level of entry-level education needs to develop better 
content around the management of cathartic release. I've seen this in my clinic, and it's often unexpected. But sometimes a few well-placed needles indeed will bring, really bring something up in a patient. And they're not at all prepared for it. And they're not sure what to do with it. And, and certainly as practitioners, if we don't have any background with this, then there's not a space to hold any of it. That's right. And so, of course, Reich influenced uh, the, a whole host of movements, including what's called Neo-Reichian, which I did a few years of uh, in the early 80s, as well as the rebirthing movement, which I did a few years of. And my, my oldest daughter was born um, using those techniques in the early 80s. Now, Wilhelm Reich influenced heavily my book, Transformation. But, but to go a little bit further, I subsequently studied with uh, Leon Hammer, who is a psychiatrist practicing Chinese medicine. And I spent seven years um, under Leon, uh, co-teaching with him the work of uh, John H.F. Shen, who I had shared patients with since oh, the mid-80s. I found myself in a community, uh, enjoyed seeing Dr. Shen on the East Coast, and when they were on the West Coast, they would uh, oftentimes come to see me, and I, I managed to see many of the formulas that Dr. Shen used in the course of his care, and, um, and so understanding the nature of the problems that each of these patients was undergoing, I was able to um, put together a real living sense of a master at, at his craft. Right, and and through the process of actually doing work with these people, mm -hmm. not just like a student observing, but actually co-treating in a sense. Co-treating, and um, although we never dialogued, I saw always saw the formulas that he was providing to them. Yeah, well, w we know that watching and seeing another practitioner's formulas is a type of dialogue. That's that, absolutely good point. Very very good point. Yeah. So, uh, so this, uh, this work uh, has been a rather constant thread for me, and I'd just like to point out that, um, that Reich's approach to management of cathartic release was to focus top-down. So if, if there's armoring and furrowing of the brows during a cathartic release, that would be his first place to look to bring the patient's awareness to, to generate a softening and a clearing. And then the next would be the ocular segment, and making sure that the eyes are soft and that there's a clear gaze uh, while the cathartic release is taking place. And this is not an easy task to be done. But his basic principle was that it, those upper zones should be uh, cleared before going, like, say, straight to the diaphragm, which is, which is how I learned it in Chin Chin Do. Or, or, uh, and then, and then the, the pelvis would be, of course, the, la the last uh, because of the significant forms of psychosocial armoring that take place in um, – in the reproductive tract, but this was so. This was a an approach to the problem, which is very different than what I experienced in my training, which was generally uh, an attempt to placate or soften the eruptive emotional content. And then I'd like to say that um, um, one of the very big messages that I bring to the table is that. If during the intake, the person is going through some form of a release or getting into contact with deep and difficult uh, shadow material in their history, that is the time to be taking the pulse. 
that the pulse should not be a an abstracted moment, which is um, taking place where, oh, I've, I've done my history, and now I'll do my physical exam, which is how medicine is taught in general. Mm-hmm. So this is a very different process whereby we want to understand what the physiology is communicating about that individual's experience in order to construct a formula which is um, most tightly conforming to that moment of the experience rather than their compensated state, which is when they get it all back together and we take the pulse then. And that's a, that's a different set of biological signals rising up at that moment. That's a whole different situation. There's a glimpse that you can get if you'll take the pulse when they're in contact with the, that deeper emotion that's erupting out. Exactly. That totally makes sense. I mean, I, of course, I was trained the way that all of us were trained. And, you know, but just now as we're having this conversation, hearing you say that, it, it just lands like a ton of bricks. It's like, well, yeah, that would be useful information. And the difference between a pulse in in a moment of emotion and a pulse in a compensated state will probably also give you some ideas about about what those relationships are between those different parts in the patient. That's correct. And um, and as and if it's done uh, regularly enough, one can begin to identify patterns of response to experience. And especially if one's pulse vocabulary is expanded to that of say the eight extraordinary vessels as in addition to the conventional uh, 27 or 20, 28 qualities of uh, Li Shurgen. Right. Wow. So a lot to tap into w- without even hardly talking to people if you really want to just work at that level. It can bypass the narrative. Yes. Bypass the narrative. Yep. But the narrative is important for understanding what these signals are. But I find the signals to be um, very reliable. Okay. So this early study that you've done with Reich has, has quite, and, and the pulse diagnosis is really what got you started. Yes. I, well, in 1980s when I started really focusing in on the pulse and I did so throughout the eighties, uh, primarily, uh, paying attention to Japanese practitioners. And then it's in 91 that I met Leon Hammer and dove more deeply into the Ding family current as Dr. Shen and Hammer represent it. There is an Eastland Press a book called Currents of Chinese Medicine, uh, which addresses anthropological and historical sources of the Ding family current. Yeah, that is um, a fantastic book. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, for our listeners, if you're not familiar with it, it it gives a glimpse at some history of Chinese medicine that you're not going to otherwise get. And, and in some ways really informs today's practice because so much of that uh, Mangha clan, so to speak, their methods got transmitted through a number of different schools that, that come down to us today. That's right. They influenced the development of uh... Uh, many Mangha practitioners influenced the development of Beijing TCM University, of course, which was, you know, the hub of TCM thought, contemporary TCM thought. Yeah, and Dr. Huang Huang, whose book I translated, his master's project was the Mangha doctors. Oh, well. Yeah. I did not yeah. know that about him. That is awesome to know. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, we, cool. we took a trip there to Mangha at one point. I want to 
switch this. I want to move this along a little bit, uh, kind of change the direction a little bit. I've, I, cause I've got lots of questions here. Okay, great. And, uh, you know, we've got, well, we've got a certain amount of time. Not that I want to be in a hurry, you know, with Western medicine, and, and this is just, this is something we all know. So it almost goes without saying there's, there's a really a complete split between mind and body. One of the great benefits of Chinese medicine is that is a unity that really was never broken. And one of the aspects of Chinese medicine that we all learned something about in Chinese medicine school, but it, at least when I was in Chinese medicine school, I'd say it was an introduction, but it was really not satisfying. It, it gave me some things to think about over the years as I've developed a practice. And that is how each of, each of the organs contains a spirit. Right, the jur and the in the kidney and the hun and the liver and, and that sort of thing. I'm curious to know how you use each of these yin aspects of the organs in your work with trauma. I see. Uh, okay, okay, that's a. Let's see how to approach this question. It's a big question. Yeah. So f I think for starters, in in transformation. Uh, treating trauma with acupuncture and herbs, uh, which was really a spinoff from my work on neoclassical pulse diagnosis, intercurrent to my publication, uh, Leisure Gen Pulse Studies, an illustrated guide that was uh, with People's Medical Publishing House. And then, then this book came in to uh, uh, receive sufficient attention to get publication. And it was my first publication formally with my own publishing house, 33 Publishing. By the way, everybody, we will have uh, on the show notes page, there, any of the materials that we talk about will have links to it. So um, there'll be clickable links. Just go to the show notes page and you can get information on, on Will's work and books and that sort of thing. Okay. So in there, I'm dealing with the problem of self. Who are we as uh, contemporaries um, uh, uh, identifying ourselves as human beings making a contribution to society. And uh, and then in comparison, of course, what that conversation was in China as closely as I could approximate. And um, it appears to me that the conception is an odd form of dualism between a unity field consciousness as Shen uh, versus a fractalated holograph, a fractal holographic state of being whereby the five Shen take residence within these organs. And um, so, that, uh, so that the Shen is both a reference to a singular state of consciousness, but also a reference to these uh, aspects of soul. And so uh, there are a number of, of approaches that I'm using for each of these, with Jir and the kidney, of course, and the Hun and the liver, and the Shen in the heart, and the paw in the, in the lung, and the E in the spleen. And so uh, I suppose the first job we have is reconstructing these ideas into something that's meaningful for, uh, for us today in our clinics. So in my work, I have absolutely no need to precisely reproduce knowledges as closely as they were um, in the Han Dynasty, because it's, from my point of view, not actually possible. But rather, I have to take these ideas as I can grasp them and utilize them in the clinic. And if it makes a difference, that's my goal. 
And so I found these methods to make a difference uh, in the course of my practice. And so this is um, a method of inquiry, of, of scientific inquiry, which derives from the worldview of one, constructivism, that we're always building the knowledges that we have. Two, uh, the, the idea of a, a, a social moment, a recursive blending of interactions between the practitioner uh, and the patient or the practitioner and the student and how that knowledge gets distributed and tested out in what is called a participatory worldview. So this discipline is um, at once a hermeneutics or a study of the text, but also a blending of family lineage knowledges, but also that which is of a practical, real results-oriented approach in the clinic. So if I look at the, um, at the juror, well, this is, this is the will, but I'm going to expand that knowledge. If I'm looking into the left proximal position, which is the location of the kidney, uh, yin, which is where I'm going to uh, focus my attention for the problems of the juror, there are a host of approaches that can be used. One uh, method uh, that I use is called the compass, what I call the compass. It's addressed in the Han Dynasty lore of, uh, of both the Huangdi Neijing, also, also the, uh, the difficult classic, the Yellow Emperor's classic, the difficult classic, both address uh, directional rotations of the finger upon a point in order to understand what's taking place. And of course, these directions are derived ultimately from the Shang and Zhou dynasty processes of ritual and actually had nothing to do with medicine, but had to do with order of the universe as it is prospectively driven from the pole star and a gaze down upon the planet and looking to the left for the, the east which is the wood and the south, which is fire, and the west, which is metal, and the north, which is water, and then the center, which is earth. And this is true for each and every position. Uh, so that's one way to understand um, how the juror is activating. So uh, very specifically, I will, uh, if a patient comes in, let's say, I'll give you an example of a, a borderline patient who swings um, radically from uh, physical presentation of symptoms to psychosocial presentation of symptoms, often from visit to visit, but maybe a series of visits before the swing takes place. So when, uh, when the emphasis of symptoms or when the center of pathology is more in the psychosocial sphere, we'll just go straight to the Shen position, that is the heart position, left distal position, and perform the compass there. For this person, almost always, the proximal sector will be more full. This is the zone of water. So then we go down to the kidney position and we look there and we uh, do the roll in all five directions, which Dr. Shen also spoke of, but not in the context of assigning the five transformative agents. I guess another way to trans translate these terms. But in any regard, so we go there and, and usually for this uh, person, it's more full in the fire sector, uh, the distal aspect of the proximal position. And there, uh, this takes us directly to a point because the, 
the, the position gives us the channel upon which we focus, right? So we're in the kidney position or the location of the germ, which is in the kidney, and we're looking at the kidney channel for that address. And then we uh, then approach, uh, oh, the fire point on that channel. And by uh, even just touching kidney tube or the fire point or uh, needling that fire point, the, the, that pulse will even out instantly the state of the individual regulates. So it's a very direct method for psychosocial purposes of using a single needle technique. And um, the stimulation of that point could be a needle, could be moxibustion, could be tuning forks, pressure. It doesn't make much difference what the tool or the, the, the application, the, the actual physical agent applied to the point is inconsequential to really the, the point that's uh, focused upon. So that's uh, that's one technique. There are very many approaches to this problem of spirit or disturbances of spirit and each of their uh, sectors or disturbances at the soul level, we could say. We're looking at this, this continual unfolding of self back to source is the, the real pathway here. We're trying to understand how we can bring a person into contact with source and that as they gain that access, their capacity to transform the material that they're working with in the course of their life into manageable packets and to also reach a level of resolution at, at the relationship of self with source. So it becomes in part also what might be used we use contemporary terms of an existential uh, set of problems. And the what the compass method brings to the table is a point of view in pulse diagnosis, which is transcendent to the individual's location in time and space. Rather, it is from an absolute location of time and space. The relationship of the pole star to the planet as performed in rituals of the Shang and, Ho, Shang and Zhou dynasty. And then the way that those directions show up, say in chapter four of the Neijing and or various, various chapters of the Nanjing. Hello everyone, Andrew Sturman here. I've been working with clients in Chinese medicine dietary therapy for over two decades in New York City. My focus is beautiful, simple, delicious, and health-supportive home cooking. Good meals can be inspired by the strategies of classic herbal formulas so that each meal is infused with medical intention from appetizer to dessert. This requires an understanding of the energetic properties of grains, vegetables, meats, fruits, and more, and knowing which foods are moistening, drying, building, clearing, warming or cooling, as well as their directionality. I've organized these teachings in my two-volume book series, Welcoming Food, where you can learn this theory, practice it in your own kitchen, and love doing so. See the positive reviews and incredible testimonials from practitioners and patients who've brought this material into their own kitchens. Welcoming Food, books one and two, can easily be found online, and if you'd like to follow me on Instagram, where I'll be posting cooking tutorials, you can find me at Welcoming Food. Back to you, Michael. Thanks very much. You know, this seems like it could be really, really helpful for a practitioner if they could dial in this kind of sensing of the pulse 
And the reason that I say that is I know, at least in my own practice, when working with people, there's there's the very physical things going on. There's the psycho-emotive or psycho, uh, psychosocial, for that matter, issues going on. And it can be really easy to kind of get lost. It's like, I mean, they're there for help. And if it's just a physical level thing, I mean, sometimes it's so great just to have a physical level issue that really it's just looking for some sort of resolve on a physical level because in some ways that's easy and it's not particularly difficult to orient to. But when we get into these other aspects of self and being and unfolding, as a practitioner, it can be easy to get lost. And having something sensate, something palpatory, something that we can go back to and go and get direct information from down to the point of, oh, this pulse suggests this point, touch this point, ooh, pulse different. If once uh, one is able to approach the matter by setting aside any sense of disbelief, (laughs) uh, uh, that which I can palpate uh, pulls me through all of the noise uh, that's taking place during the course of case-taking. So if you can sort of see through the disbelief, this is, so this is an issue that comes up, I think, for a lot of us in our practices about, number one, learning to feel with our hands, learning to pay attention to things that we're usually not used to paying attention to, and then, and then once we actually start to get information at often very subtle levels, I mean, palpating the pulse is, is a subtle art. How do, we, how do we work through this thing of being able to feel something? And sometimes I feel things in the pulse and I go, well, that's an interesting pulse. I mean, I've got pulses that I've made up my own names for because it feels like something... That, that I've never been taught before. It's like, oh, there, oh yeah, there's that, there's that feeling. And I'll feel certain things on occasion. It's like, oh yeah, there's that. I'm, and I have to like figure it out. But back to my main, my main question here, how do we know that we're actually feeling something and being guided about it? And how do we separate that from, well, this is a really subtle thing and it's so easy to make things up. Oh, I think they've got this issue. And so we find that in the pulse or we find it in a point. How do we know when we're getting information and when we're just kind of making stuff up? It's, it's a real problem. And part of it comes from how pulse diagnosis has been situated since the 1950s when, uh, when the Chinese government brought all these practitioners from around the country and tried to perform positivist science of proving um, and having repetition. And there was all kinds of problems with respect to uh, inter-rater reliability between these high-level practitioners. Well, first of all, we have to look at technique. Is, are the people using the same technique? And um, and I did a presentation for uh, the international Chinese community last year in Arizona, and I did a brief study of pictures on the web of people taking pulses. And virtually all of them have radical errors, and they're each done performed in such different ways that uh, un- until we solve the 
the fundamental problem of the assumption that we're using the same technique each time we take the pulse or when we compare our findings with another. There's, there are other problems uh, that have to do with the, the nature of the lore, uh, and this, uh, these problems are addressed in uh, Lee Surgeon's Pulse Studies Illustrated Guide. In that book, I touch upon it briefly. There are uh, very, very problematic assumptions taking place with the use of the term uh, choppy or rough, the semi-pulse. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, uh, the Jinmai, the tight pulse, both, both of these have uh, are a mess in the literature. And so when a person s- uses the term, and, and I'm talking about high-level, family-level uh, transmission uh, about these uh, pulses without naming any particular family transmission, I'm drawing from a large pool here, uh, but not a single one of them has uh, uh, solved these problems, and and it just goes to the the the, the real issue w- within the field. The, the 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 problem of say taking the compass pulse is one. You've got to set. First of all, there is no conversation in the core literature. Let's say the twenty seven twenty eight qualities of Lee Surgen, which is really probably derived of Mansions of the Moon as a as a mnemonic for learning, and not really a very good taxonomic structuring for pulse diagnostic systems in general. Um, Leon Hammer went very far in giving us probably the best taxonomic arrangement of rhythm and rate uh, that we can that, that is currently available. And I use that one. So that's just an example of, of some of the problems. But the issue ha- is that until you're shown in person, it's not possible to uh, perceive many of these things. So what happens is then, in, and as a result of those studies in China, is that they they took the materials and reduced their presence in the in the uh, state-approved educational systems, and then the the pro- knowledge product of coming out of China used the pulse as a way of confirming what people already thought. So what happens is in that moment is that the pulse begins trailing this set of preconceived beliefs about what's taking place in a person. And this mm-hmm. is the source of the problem that you're describing, in my opinion. And that problem being that uh, it's easy for people to kind of imagine what it is that they're feeling or just make what they're feeling because the pulse is just being used to confirm what people already think about the case. As opposed to going, well, blind's not the right word, but going without assumptions and just seeing what's there in the pulse and seeing what it has to say first. Right, which would be closer to the stylings of Bian Shui, who's ostensible author of the Nanjing. So this business of rolling in four directions, there's not a single address in, uh, in Li Shijian's lexicon of distortions of the radial artery um, outside of its pathway. This was my doctoral work, uh, both for my DAOM and for my PhD the focus on different ways of seeing distortions in the trajectory of the radial artery. So the Shin Hammer or the uh, the Mengha Ding family current, as it shows up with Shen and Hammer, has some particular artifacts of practice that discuss distortions in the trajectory of the radial artery. Notably, if, if the middle position is extending towards the tendon on both sides, which is two different 
observations, of course, in the compass model. We're talking about changing perspective. The, the pulse is completely driven by my question. So this pulse diagnosis is the uh, fundamental approach that I use for assessing the level of Shen in each one of these positions. And of course, their story guides me to, to which of these Shen I'm going to take into account. And then I'm going to look at contemporary life and how it folds in. So we're coming around in circles on this, but the patterns of distortion can, depending on my question, have different interpretations. So if I have a slipperiness and a radial distortion in the heart position or the left distal position, left sun, that position uh, in the Shen Hammer tradition is, uh, is suggestive of, when slippery, a, a mitral valve prolapse. Well, one of the problems I ran into is that it didn't always. And then they didn't have a conversation for when it showed up on the right side. So this is what caused me to go back to the classical lore of the Han Dynasty to understand the answers to these questions. So, in fact, we find in the Mai Jing, the pulse classic of Wang Shu He, who was a, an archivist who I'm sure well know that was responsible for the, in part, reconstruction of the Shanghan Lun. But anyway, Wang's personal work was the, around the, the pulse classic. And in chapter 10 of the pulse classic, he's addressing both the a six division model and then the six division model it's assigned to the divisions of topographical presentation of the Taiyang, Xiaoyang, Yangming, Zhuiyin, Xiaoyin, Taiyin, and then, but also the eight extraordinary vessels. And he gives us our first most articulate presentation of how to assess the eight extraordinary vessels. So, but the Yinwei and Yangwei vessels both have distortions outside the trajectory of the radial artery. And it is one of the more reliable uh, teaching methods. So I often deal with these spatially oriented methods when I'm teaching first because it's more palpable. It's once one has shown, if I just keep rotating my finger without pushing the vessel out of the way, uh, radial in the distal position, I can make any number of presentations, such as that wood is affecting fire. Uh, maybe there's a mitral valve prolapse, or it could be a Tai Yang. Or if given appropriate confirmation, there could be a Yangwei pulse. And these are each dependent upon the frame of reference from which I'm making the question. If my question is, which of the compass directions is it? So, so as Korsipsky says, the map is not the terrain. So all we're dealing with these pulse diagnostic methods and the, map, the compass method, which I shared with you uh, and the listeners, is a map or it rather is an abstraction that we lay over the physical events that are presenting themselves. Now, in terms of subtleties, what I go for when I'm teaching are big signals, undeniable signals that everyone in the room goes, yep, 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 unless they've got severe neurological damage or played guitar till their fingers bleed like Stevie Ray Vaughan, uh, you know, and the, the kind of callousing will interfere with the finger's ability to palpate. So there are physical, psychosocial attributes that prepare an individual for the purposes of pulse diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So you, you go for the bigger, easier things to palpate when first learning these particular methods. What are some of those? Okay, so the compass would be one, the ability to roll. If, if I've got my finger in, in, that, in the bed of the radius and that radial artery is down there in that bed where it should be, I, I'll roll out over the bone 
and it's it can no longer be palpated. But if I roll out over the bone and I can still feel that pulse, that's that's something that's very very consistent. Or in the eight extraordinary vessels, let's say uh, which of the positions is largest. If the distal position's largest and my fingers hit it first, I've got a Yang Chao pulse. Or if the middle, it's a Dai Mai, and the proximal, it's it's Yin Chao. So those are those are super easy. Those are yeah, those would be easy. Yeah, they palpate. The, they already palpated every day of their life as a practitioner. So th this is not new information. It's just a way of reorganizing what we see. And then the next process, of course, is to dive deeper into the the various qualities. And I try to to unpack it in terms of contemporary physiology as well, so that the Western mind can see it a little differently. And that I find to be, be very, very helpful. But there's another message that comes up from the Meng Ding, as Shannon Hammer represented, and that's that there is a tolerance for ambiguity, and there's a tolerance for paradox. Mm-hmm. And, um, and which is, are critical skills for the physician. And I use physician here uh, because practitioners of Chinese medicine are physicians, and, and I know that various legal dis uh, jurisdictions oftentimes uh, certain classes of providers will gain social closure on certain terms, like say here in where, where I live part-time in Texas, there it's against the law to use the term physician. Oh, right. You can't. You can't even call yourself a doctor. In fact, even if your patients call you a doctor, you're supposed to correct them. I mean, there's, yeah, there's all that. Uh, the earned doctorate can be used as long as it doesn't misinform the public and cause them to think for some reason mm -hmm. that you're a medical doctor. But the term physician is protected for medical doctors. I see. Is the, is the point. Whereas in Florida, of course, physician is part of their licensing act. But as far as I'm concerned, all practitioners of this medicine are physicians because we... We're dealing with um, certainly greater dimensionality than the physical. Well, you know, what's, what's interesting to me is uh, what we would usually think of, you know, is when, when you say physician, most people, of course, think medical doctor. And within that paradigm, within the, the Western medicine paradigm, a tolerance for ambiguity and paradox, I, I think they probably have very little tolerance. In fact, ambiguity and paradox, uh, they're doing their best not to have that, right? We want the right evidence-based answer, and yet, for East Asian medicine practitioners, and especially as, as we're working with patients with more than just, you know, their physicality, that tolerance for ambiguity and paradox, I think, becomes very, very important. You know, the longer we're in clinic, the more we see tons of ambiguity and paradox show up. Have you got any thoughts? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Have you got any thoughts, especially maybe for people that are students or beginning practitioners who want the answer and want to fix the problem? How do we cozy up a bit to ambiguity yeah. and paradox? You know, I mean, they're actually our friends. They're not the enemy. Let's see. I think I think we're engaging into something that might be a little bit two separate problems, which is that urge and need to fix something and the and that goes along commensurate with that is the, the issue of identifying with our clinical outcomes. Right. Let's start with that. That sounds good. Yeah, my student. I try to encourage my students not to identify with their clinic, clinical outcomes, and but rather to study as hard as they can to get as good as they can at their craft, without judging themselves 
who are identifying with, oh, this person got better and I, I'm great. And then, oh, th- I, I failed here. And now I'm, I'm just the worst. I'm just the worst. And this is not a helpful stance to take with oneself, uh, this harsh critical judgment uh, upon oneself in terms of clinical outcomes and identifying with them, but rather the, the steady focus upon coming as fluent as possible at, on the acupuncture front, all the channel systems, the five element points, all these features are the warp and woof of good practice, and, and that gets sidestepped oftentimes in a herbally focused program of TCM, where uh, the points are learned in terms of their functions, such as uh, uh, draining damp heat, moving blood, and along those lines, say spleen ten for moving blood. I just I've never seen it. I, you know, I'll, I'll do some wet cupping on the back if I want to move blood, and that's going to give me some very real results regarding moving, moving blood, whereas spleen 10 oftentimes not. So anyway, that's a, just, just, just an aside. So that's, this, this issue of identification uh, with clinical outcomes, it's who I am is who I am as a practitioner, and I do the absolute best I can. Some people I can help, and some people I cannot help, and I must accept these facts. Two basic misconceptions stand in the way of people feeling comfortable using Chinese herbal medicine, even as they are feeling more positive about acupuncture. They are concerned about safety as herbal medicine is an unregulated industry and feel herbs are not effective to treat most conditions. Blue Poppy is committed to meeting all FDA safety regulations. All of their herbal products contain minimal or no filler to maximize potency and efficiency. Their granules are carefully manufactured in GMP-certified facilities, and every batch is tested multiple times for pesticides, heavy metals, and microbial content at the manufacturer and by SGS Laboratory, a Swiss certification and inspection company. For over 20 years, Blue Poppy has made quality and safety manufacturing standards their biggest priority, resulting in exceptionally effective herbal formulas. Their years of experience provide you with the best possible herbs so your patients have the best possible outcomes. With free shipping and free dropship service on orders over $50, Blue Poppy should be your favorite place to shop for herbs. Use the code CHI2024 to receive 10% off Blue Poppy products on your next order. Yeah, which is, which is not to say we don't care or we're lacks in our work exactly right exactly not, it, it, it there's this interesting little neutral place in between on a good day at least for me on a good day i can sit in this neutral place and someone comes in and they've had a great experience and it's like well that's nice <laughs> and they could come in and have had a terrible experience and i'll go huh okay well now what and to be able to stay in that kind of neutral space of not getting all puffed up because, oh, look, they had a good result and not getting too deflated because they didn't have a good result. That's right. So we do, we do the best we possibly can, refining and honing our craft and serving the people that we serve. But in the end, they are who they are and we are who we are. And so that was, that was one. Let's see, now that was woven together. We were parsing that out from another question. Right, about the tolerance for ambiguity and paradox. Yes, okay, so returning to that issue, let's take, for example, uh, we've discerned a problem at the level of the hun. 
and uh, and let's say that that problem is exhibiting itself in terms of disturbed dream content. What I will do is ask the person to unfurl their experience of the dream, either directly with me as narrative, or they can do it internally to themselves if they're not comfortable with discussing the material of the dream. And during that whole time, I'm taking the left pulse of the left middle position, and I'll be looking at um, what's taking place in the in the depths. Of course, Nanjing, we have five depths and Ding family currents, more three depths, and then we have two depths with respect to uh, many European styles and Japanese stylings of practice rooted in Nanjing. But in any regard, I'm looking at all the qualities that are coming up. So if there's forceful, over time, different expressions will present themselves. I just record those expressions and I allow all of them to be present. So if I've got signals for excess and I've got signals for deficiency, I've got signals for hot and signals for cold, then I'm going to just allow those signals to be recorded and they will receive due attention in the course of the formula construction. So for instance, let's say it's full and it's forceful and you press in and there's no root. Well, good heavens, there's a deficiency underlying this excess. So I'm absolutely okay using something like Huangqi or Stragglus to address uh, the acquisition of root in the left middle position, which is something that Dr. Shen would typically do. And a host of pre-TCM practitioners around Beijing also do similar types of strategies. Um, but then at the same time, I'm going to add some medicinals, which address whatever the excess presentations might be. So fully uh, confident that if I've got both signs of hot and cold, that I will address both hot and cold. And this is essentially the harmonizing strategy, but um, but moving away from the polarized thought of it's got to be this or that. It's usually not just, I mean, on occasion, someone comes in and, and it is simply a this or that. I'm often surprised when that shows up. It's like, okay, <laughs> what have I missed? It's kind of rare, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of rare. Back to this thing for a moment of, um, and, and I may be beating this to death, but this thing about we want our patients to get better. We want to help them in the best way that we can help them. And patients come in because they have symptoms. And they're looking to get those symptoms resolved. And a lot of times we will judge our work, and certainly our patients will judge our work based on what happens with their symptoms. Yes. And in certain situations, you know, getting rid of a symptom might be the right thing to do, but sometimes the symptom is an important messenger. And if you shut that symptom up without getting the message, not only have you kicked the can further down the road, but in some ways that's injurious to our patients as they go along a trajectory that's going to cause them further problems. Have you got any ideas or guidelines or things to think about for being able to suss out when and how to follow that messenger back to the source? And when it's actually just, you know, oh, it's just back pain because they, you know, lifted a, a couch, you know, six of them, they were moving. Right. Um, and we just, we just need to get rid of the back pain. Right. How do you know when it's a messenger, and when it's just a problem to be taken care of. Right. Some, sometimes the sign has no meaning or the symptom has no particular meaning in the life of the individual. And 
<laughs> you know, Michael, I'm not sure how I know that, but but let's let's say that I approach the problem from a perspective of patient-centered care. That material, which receives addressed in the clinic, is determined by the patient. And so I don't go digging for psychosocial material, but people oftentimes come with that as their presenting complaint. I'm always interested in where is the center? That's the question that if, if I, you see, it's this whole conversation is inquiry driven. In the clinic, if I make an observation in the pulse, I'm not gonna make an assumption that that's true without further inquiry as a tool of confirmation. So similarly, if I begin to see that there's something of significance in the person's life and it's directly related to the problem, I'm very circumspect about giving revelation of that observation to the patient because I want to be sensitive to what a, a situation which I call clinical ecology, which is the preparedness of the patient to receive our communications and our treatments and their capacity to be the receiver of such. Right. Because so often they're not ready for that. Partly that's why the symptom is there. It's a placeholder. It's a way to sort of keep them engaged at a certain point. They might be ready to, uh, to hear that, see it, live into it, whatever. Yes. Yes. And so with the pulse, and, and my, my conversation with my learners is always, if you, if you have found the center, there is no last minute as they're grabbing the door handle. Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention, then that following statement has already encompassed in the treatment if, it's, if you've hit the center. And so one of the ways that we do it is, and I'm not saying that we don't do appropriate reflection on our treatments and treatment strategies and outcomes. What I'm saying is that we don't identify with it. It's a different place that mm -hmm. we situate ourselves mm -hmm. when we do a critical assessment of what's unfolded. And that critical assessment should be taking place with both successful and unsuccessful cases from a neutral stance. I think it's what that's what you're hitting upon here is I think one of those things that really does come with experience. And so the question would be maybe, well, how do we get the, the junior learner tuned into that uh, level of, of perception earlier than what it would take for a person to have been in practice, say, 30 or 50 years? And I've thought about this a lot. I thought about it when I was at USC's School of Medical Education, and I also thought about it uh, in my a PhD work, but mostly, mostly at USC, and it's a, it's a one thing. The, the case is probably the research method which is best suited for the transfer of expert knowledge. Two, if we, this is what a, a method of, of research I, I call recursive systems analysis. And in, in this method, an expert is videotaped while they're doing their work. Let's say they're doing an intake and prescribing a formula. Then that expert is videotaped while they watch the videotape and discuss their thoughts and impressions 
at each stage along the process of the clinical interaction. And this could even take place on, a, on an, a, an, another iteration, but it's recursive in that they, they're observing themselves on the video, and then that videotape is observed. And then, if, so it could be done again, and that would be, once you hit that stage, then it's, of course, diminishing returns. But that's uh, actually, was determined to be in expert systems, say, seasoned practitioners, like, say, um, emergency response teams or, or firefighters. You, you have a level of intuition that comes from experience. And so these experienced practitioners would share their stories, and this became the tool by which the junior learners actually acquired the skills most quickly. Right. So they would be able to watch the seasoned practitioner do what they do because that's just the thing they do. And then you get to hear the experienced practitioner describing what's behind what they were doing. That's correct. And doing their own critical self-analysis as the case is unfolding mm -hmm. before them while they watch the videotape. Yeah. Is anybody teaching acupuncture with this method that you Not know Not that of? I know of. And I published this proposed research method in, I think it was in 99. So it's been this long and I haven't, but of course I've had a few things, uh, a few other things rolling up between courses and yeah. books and running a school and yeah, practice my practice as well. Plenty, yeah. Always plenty of stuff to do. Well, I recognize that we're coming up toward the end of our time here, and uh, I've, I've so enjoyed this conversation. It, it actually leaves me thirsting for a bit more, but, but for the time being, we're going to have to wind this down. Any closing thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, uh, first of all, I'm, I'm so grateful to um, have a moment with you and have a conversation about these things that I think are, are meaningful. Uh, this is a really great time to reorient our intentions about our relationship to the work and and come to a, a place of solidarity with the discipline by which we approach the work. Great. Well, thanks again so much for taking the time to uh, be on Geological today. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community. Mm -hmm.